Hi, and welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bueno. I'm a psychotherapist and owner of the practice Head Heart Therapy in Chicago. Today, my guest is Sarah Wolfman, and Sarah Wolfman is a somatic therapist as well as a yoga teacher, and she has her own practice called Somatic Touch Therapy. She practices in Wrigleyville out of her home, and it's literally right behind Wrigley Field. I go see her for my own somatic work personally, and one time had a session with her. I think it was when the Cubs were, were they in the playoffs this year? I'm so not a sports fan, so I can't even really tell you what they were doing, but there was some sort of game, and I completely underestimated the fact that every street in Wrigleyville would be totally packed, and she's like, you can come into my, what do you call those things, garage. So literally right behind Wrigleyville. So I'm really excited for you to hear what Sarah has to share. And she is a person that I resonate so much with. I was thinking about the word resonate, and I don't want to do one of those. The dictionary defines resonate as blah, 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 blah. But I did just Google the word and this came up and I thought it was really interesting to share. And what it said was, in physics, resonance is a phenomenon in which a vibrating system or external force drives another system to oscillate with greater amplitude at specific frequencies. And I was like, yes, there are definitely people in my life whom, when I'm with them, I feel this buzz or this sensation of increased energy. And Sarah is one of those people. Side note, as I say the word Sarah, I have a lot of Sarahs in my world, and there are obviously a ton of Sarahs in the world in general. And it's funny that whenever I say Sarah and I am specifically thinking of someone else, their name fully fits them as if it isn't even my name. And I don't know if that's weird or not. What about like John's and Katie's and Jason's? Do you also have that experience? I'm curious if it's just me or I don't know what that is. Anyway. Energy. I think a lot about energy, and the more work that I do in myself personally, the more I believe that so much of our healing won't be done through words or the things that we think about. And whenever I make a profound shift in in my thinking or my way of being, I am trying to like think back if there's ever been a time where it's been like this realization that I've had in therapy, and then it's like, ooh, everything's different now. But I feel like it's almost a shift in energy that then creates space for a shift in thought. I don't know what other people think about that. I mean, and that's one of the reasons that at Head Heart, I'm so into having complementary healing modes with our talk therapy. I'm actually sharing a client with one of my staff members right now, and she's doing the talk therapy while I'm doing Reiki and then kind of playing around with some of these somatic pieces that, that Sarah is going to be sharing with us in a moment. And the shifts that are happening with this person are so profound and super exciting. I am for sure that it's not because my staff member is giving crappy therapy and then like I come in and give amazing Reiki. <laughs> so I know that that's not it because my therapist staff member is really great. But I think it's this combo about, you know, having a space to talk things out, having a space to feel things out. And, and then also this person just kind of being ready to create new energy in their lives. So it's just super exciting. Maybe you're a believer in energy work and maybe you're not, but somatic therapy itself, I think is a really great marriage of energy work and traditional therapy. And I wonder if, you know, I have other friends who do somatic work and I wonder if they would contextualize it as, as energy work, but I do, you know, being a Reiki practitioner and knowing the profound shifts that I had when I first started experiencing Reiki 
there's a lot of similarities to me anyway. But somatic therapy in and of itself is an evidence-based treatment modality and has specific success with trauma in particular. But of course, there are so many other things that it, it works with. So I'm really excited for you to hear what Sarah has to share. So please enjoy my interview with Sarah Wolfman. So Sarah Wolfman, welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing, sweetie? You know, I probably should have mentioned this before we started recording, but here we are like being super authentic. I actually just found out I had a former colleague who committed suicide. Oh my. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's someone who I wasn't close to currently, but someone who I used to be close to. So it's kind of, it's one of those things where all of us are like, we're not surprised, but we're stunned at the same time. God, yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. Oy, that is not yeah. an easy thing to deal with. It's just shocking. And I haven't even processed. Like, I've just been working all day. So it's just kind of like, okay, I'll process this when I slow down later. And then it's going to be like, boom, you know? Yes, it will. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So starting off terribly morose, I, I apologize yeah. for that. But <laughs> thank you for, for doing this. Do you mind sharing a little bit about who you are and and what you do? Sure. So I work as a somatic experience practitioner, which is a mouthful, as well as a posture and movement specialist. Ooh, I didn't know about that part. That's cool. Yes. So I work with clients from the bottom up, so from the body up, to transform emotional and physical pain so they can get back to living a life of vitality. I love that. Yeah. Sound like you have a great elevator speech. I always find like (laughs) myself stumbling over explaining what I do. you say it so succinctly and perfectly. Well, I've been working on that because if you tell somebody that you're a somatic therapist, they're like, what? (laughs) What does that mean? Right. So I've been trying to be succinct with this because people tend to glaze out the more words you add. So I'm glad that you had the response that you did. (laughs) Right. I always get this when I say I'm a therapist. They're like, oh, physical therapist. Do people like go there after you explain yourself even? Um, Yeah. Well, so they'll say, well, I don't understand. Right. So some of this does sound a little bit like physical therapy, Mm -hmm. but truly it's centered around nervous system integration and regulation. So it's it moves from the bottom up, from the inside out. And we're just we just kind of sort of unwind these projects or puzzles that show Mm -hmm. up in the system. So that's kind of the way that works. And for all two people who will be listening to the second episode of this. Yes. I actually see Sarah for services. So I know what she does firsthand and I can, I guess, just tell my my experience of it. I mean, I have been doing therapy on my, not, not doing therapy on myself, but I myself have been receiving therapy since I was probably 16 years old. And there were some things in my life that, you know, I've talked about, I've processed, I know it intellectually, I get it, but I haven't been able to change. But in the last, what, like six months we've been working together, Sarah, things have come to the surface and shifted in a way that has just never happened before. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. That's truly the magic of working with the body. Yes. And even the way you had said that, like we've been working in a a certain modality Mm -hmm. of therapy Mm -hmm. to try to unwind what we feel. Right. And if we're feeling it, it's not in the mind. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Right. So it's just kind of an upside down, making the upside down right side up, I guess. And it's so funny because I think that the psychology field is 
kind of finally starting to catch on to this that we can't do everything with words but it's still there's some people who are like nope I just do straight psychodynamic and I think like well that's that can be very limiting because mm-hmm. I certainly haven't been able to talk or process my way out of shame but I have found mm-hmm. a profound shift after doing mm-hmm. this work for even a short period of time I felt shifts so Ugh. Music to my ears. Right? <laughs> yes. So I honestly don't really even know your story about like how you got to this place in time. So I can't wait to hear the progression of like, <laughs> who the hell are you, Sarah? How yeah. how did you become <laughs> a healer? Right? Right, right? We have as much time as you want right. because who cares? We do what we want here. Right. Yeah. So tell me how you got here. It's kind of a two-part question because I was looking at these questions that you sent. And the shorter answer of when did I decide to become a therapist or healer, I never really set out to necessarily do that. My work began as a yoga teacher Mm -hmm. for almost 20 years. And I loved, absolutely loved teaching with groups and working with groups. But slowly Mm -hmm. my practice started to shift to more of an individual therapeutic session as the work became more nuanced. Mm -hmm. And it was centered around clients suffering from symptoms of trauma and chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And when that started to unfold, you just can't do that with any any bit of sensitivity in a group. These are traumatized individuals that it's hard enough to just get in the room for some people. So just understanding, and again, kind of going back to this nature of things sort of being projects instead of problems and puzzles, we just started kind of playing and learning more about the nervous system. I am a huge body nerd and read (laughs) and sponge anything that I can get my hands on with regard to unwinding unworkable patterns in the body. And that's how this thing happened. And then slowly I started to work more and more with this group. And it's not even really necessarily this group. We've all had some kind of trauma, whether it's been a big one or a little one. And it's really just come down Mm -hmm. to working around obstacles in life. And what is it that you want in life that where something is getting in the way? Yeah. And so we work with that thing that's getting in the way to just kind of unwind the system to find a little bit more freedom and space to move forward. Mm. The word workable, I've integrated that into how I conceptualize movement with clients too, because I found that so profound for myself, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not about fixing. It's not about eradicating or changing. It's just about making it workable. And all the reading that I've been doing lately on like kind of, I guess, Buddhist philosophy really is it's just all about how we relate to our circumstances. It has nothing to do with what our circumstances are, but our relation. And I think that's kind of how I think about workability too. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Like when, when a person comes in, when I, I think I've even mentioned this to you before, person comes in and said, you know what? I don't want to be anxious anymore. Right. You know, and I'm like, okay, well that sounds great, but Anxiety is a critical part of being a human. Mm-hmm. And to have that energy pick up is a critical part of being alert and aware of shifts in the system and shifts outside of our system. Mm-hmm. So what if we can make our relationship to anxiety more workable, like what you're suggesting, right? Mm-hmm. And we can almost go, oh, there's my friend telling me there's something to look for. Right. There's my friend anxiety. So I look out and go, oh, there's that thing. And then all of a sudden, that sensation around anxiety becomes integrated, and we're now motivated to shift and see how we can navigate through that. Right. And that's kind of how that works. I actually, I was kind of applying that last night. When I went to bed, I usually can fall asleep no problem, but for some reason, I felt I didn't have an anxious sensation, and I also wasn't having anxious, ruminating thoughts, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't go to sleep. And so I was recognizing as like, this must be anxiety because 
what else would it possibly be? And then just kind of saying, okay, I should maybe check in with myself tomorrow and be a little bit more aware about what might be causing this anxiety that I'm completely, literally unaware of. Mm -hmm. And last night I tried to tune into like what I was feeling in the body and do some like progressive relaxation things. And it was just so interesting. Like I found myself being curious instead of being judgmental. Well, that's the golden ticket right there. That's what this kind of therapy and that's what this awareness offers is curiosity. And the idea behind this is that curiosity can be yeah. the antidote to trauma and terror. Yeah. If we can, if we can get into this and, and be like, oh, look at how I'm responding rather than, oh, look how awful this is. Yeah. Right. Or, mm -hmm. oh, my God, I am awful. And like you said, judgment, right. you know, um, assessments, these things we place on our feelings and sensations and emotions that really don't necessarily help make it move. Right. Right. And the body works through movement. Mm -hmm. And the moment we stop moving, the brain will create a story around why it is we're not moving. <laughs> right. No matter what it is. It's either I'm flawed or somebody's in my way, right? <laughs> right. Or someone else is flawed. Right. And they're in my space, yeah. right? So it's either my fault or somebody else's fault rather right. than it just is. How do I work with it? And it just becomes a little bit more fun. Therapy can be a little bit more fun <laughs> if yeah. you let it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have always thought therapy was fun, which is why I continue to do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Why but not? I, but I guess not everybody feels that way. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'm curious, like, because you said, you know, you didn't set out to be a healer. And, and I honestly don't think that any of us do. Mm -hmm. I think that it's something that all of a sudden we find ourselves in that seat and we're like, oh, wait, do I deserve to be here? Like, I don't okay. know if you had any thoughts like that, because the because the word healer can certainly be, I guess, heavy or mm -hmm. we can be afraid of it. Like, what are your thoughts on kind of arriving at, okay, all right, I'm a healer. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, that's such a good question. And, and that kind of leads me into the second part of this. I really am more of like a guide or like a almost a buddy or a partner on this thing, mm -hmm. because I don't know what's happening in someone else's body. I don't know what will necessarily be the answer for them. Right. But if we can be alongside them and just kind of help them sort of provide a roadmap right. of how to get through it, then that answer just shows up for them. Mm -hmm. And that's really the beauty of the body is the organic wisdom of its ability to self-heal. And just because we're pushing someplace doesn't mean that that's where the body needs to be pushed or that the mind needs to be pushed. So it's really just kind of opening up and expanding the perspective on the access points. Okay, if it's not working this way, let's try this way, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of ways to get out of a hole. Yeah. And so that's the idea. Sometimes we, we can claw up, sometimes we throw something, right? Sometimes it's filling the bottom of the hole and standing on top of it, mm -hmm. right? So there's all kinds of ways to, to make this work. And so in terms of my relationship with the client, it's really, I'm just alongside them. And we're kind of figuring it out together, what goes on in the session. Yeah, I like to think of being a healer in terms of kind of sort of like being a conduit mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever clinical expertise I have just based on other people that I've worked with, I think like that's that's the only quote unquote like leg up I have on somebody in the room with me is that I could right. have potentially seen something like this before. But yeah, I, right. like, I like thinking of like we're doing this together because it is everything is in relation. It's all about connection. And I've just found that the more the more I think I know what I'm doing with with somebody, <laughs> uh -huh. I'm so wrong. 
right? Yeah. It's like, oh, that's not even why they're here. So we kind of have to check. Like, I know I'd have to check my agenda at the door because what they're coming in for and what I'm seeing might be two completely different things. Right. But I think, too, I'm just guessing because I know you, I think that you're probably very in touch with your intuition. And I I would guess that you're probably not necessarily wrong about something Mm. that someone might need, but it may just not be time. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. I guess I want to give you a little bit more credit than I hear you giving yourself right now because (laughs) as far as the healer goes, because there's something about, there's a special energy I think that you bring to this work that not everybody does that. Not everybody, I guess, is in touch with that capacity that they have. And I'll never forget like the first time I came in to see you and So just for people who are listening, kind of what what happens when I go into a session with Sarah is I'll sit down, she'll be like, what's going on? And then I, you know, tell her a little bit about what's happening and she'll ask me where I I feel the sensation and then we'll kind of do some manipulation with, with visuals there. And then she'll have me on a massage table and the first thing she does is put her hand on your shoulder to kind of introduce the energy systems. And I will never forget the image that I got of that was like all these little cartoon energy characters running to your hand like, oh God, save me. (laughs) That is so sweet. And that's, but that you create that. I mean, not necessarily create it, but you're a conduit, you are a vessel, you know, and, and there is something really special about you in particular. Thank you. That's, that's very sweet. You know, I've been through it, right? I've been through it. Yeah. So just to give you a little bit of, of background of how this kind of happened. Mm-hmm. So about 18 and a half years ago, I had my first daughter, <laughs> C-section style. And I'm, I wasn't a very patient young working mom. <laughs> and so it wasn't like rest wasn't really, yeah. wasn't really part of the MO there. And one thing they do after you get after you have surgery is they give you pain medication, right? Mm-hmm. So so Vicate and I became really good friends. Yeah. And that helped. That helped considerably around the pain. And so of I was course. able to do a lot of things while being numb. Yeah. And not really knowing that what I was doing was actually hurting myself. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the prescription ran out that I, I really sank into this depression. Yep. So I was prescribed Zoloft. So I'm like, okay, you know, now I'm jamming on Zoloft right. and everything's going to be okay. And I still don't really have to check in. Cause I, even mm-hmm. as a yoga teacher, then it never occurred to me that the body was giving me information right. that could help. I looked at any information that was coming from my body as something that was not on my side, mm. right? That whatever was coming up, not for me. Yeah. And so the reason I was on the Zoloft, I didn't want my baby to, to know I was depressed, Mm. right? Like I wanted to keep everything from her and protect her in this little bubble that we try. And so, you know, I was able to sort of pull that off for a couple of years. And then I had another baby C-section again and had another dose of Vicodin. So psyched for that. (laughs) And then, right. And then, oh, my old friend, like, sweet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I should just keep having babies. So, um, (laughs) so as, as luck would have it the side effects started showing up between the combination mm. of the Zoloft and the Vicodin. Hmm. And it snowballed into all these other symptoms, insomnia and migraines wow. and digestive issues and, and mood swings and horrible, horrible back pain. So here I was, Jeez, yeah. a young mom with two babies or two little ones and completely addicted to pharmaceuticals and not knowing. Yeah. So I've so been in that place of total detachment. Yep. And it wasn't until... I went to an internal medicine doctor. I was getting these prescriptions from a psychiatrist. And it wasn't until I went to an internal medicine doctor 
and with my, I would walk around with a little lunchbox of meds. I know. No. And I was a real estate agent. So this is crazy. I was wow. a real estate agent. So I'd be walking around and you, you'd know I was coming because, well, you know how like when Donald Trump walks around, you can hear the Tic Tacs, mm. right? He always said, you can hear me coming because you hear my no, Tic Tacs. No, but that's okay, well, that weird. Okay. <laughs> so you'd hear me kind of come and I sounded almost like a Pez dispenser. Like there was wow. like shaking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I walked in to the office and brought my, my little lunchbox and the doctor was horrified yeah. at what he was seeing. Yeah. And so he said that I had two choices to either go into rehab for a few weeks or to detox slowly at home. Mm. And, you know, with two babies, rehab was not an option in my mind at all because we just had everything was up in the air. So the part I didn't hear was slowly and safely. Oh, about detoxing. No, here it yes. comes. So, okay. I, so I just stopped taking everything at the oh, same time. Oh God. Oh right. God. So like any kind of after school special you've seen oh. around what not to do with the stuff. I'm is, so is excited. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my right? God. So it was a train wreck oh. for about maybe two to three weeks. Yeah. And then I started getting slowly getting these sensations back in my body, which was miraculous as far as I was concerned, because I was so numb below my chin. Mm. And as even as I was feeling these things, it all related to unworkability. I always thought of Mm. everything as pain. I started getting, I had to become more curious about it because I couldn't take a medication for it. Right. So I didn't have a choice. So this was just around, okay, what am I going to do to survive? Wow. Right. What am I going to do here? So it was this slow recovery period of just getting to know what was physically happening underneath my skin. Mm. And that led into this whole other world of, okay, maybe pain isn't pain, but just this sensation that's going, please don't stand that way. Right. Or please don't do it that way. That's not the way it feels good for me. Mm -hmm. Instead of let me numb that and do it anyway. So I just started relating to it a little differently. And I didn't even realize there was an entire body of work centered around this. Yeah. And so from just starting to move differently and starting to want to feel differently, I kind of meandered my way into more of the somatic work. Mm. And I think that's just the relatability that comes back to the clients is I, I get it. Yeah. You know, I get why feeling sucks. Yeah. And so part of my mission is just for humans in general to understand that as animals, we are designed to feel. Yes. And what a beautiful thing that can be, even as hard as it is. Mm-hmm. But our body is telling us something. And if we're only trying to think it out, we're not giving enough ammunition to a system that can actually self-heal, enough power to a system that can self-heal. We're really, it's almost like ignoring this entire class of ourself. Yeah. Right? And saying, we, you're just not that important. Right. And what I find is that the more people awaken to that, the more they're like, oh, wow, there's, it's just that thing. Mm-hmm. This isn't really a problem. It's just that thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a really long-winded answer. <laughs> I love it, though. There's so much in that that I want to – and I, I didn't know any of this about you, yeah. so I'm so glad that you were willing to, to share that. And the thing that I think a lot of people don't know about narcotics and, well, I guess painkillers in general is that the longer that you take painkillers, the more pain you actually feel. Exactly. I'm horrified when I see now on commercials that are like, oh, do you have opiate-induced constipation? You should take this other medication. Mm -hmm. I'm like, 
no, fuck, no, get get off the opiates. And there's so many other ways to deal with chronic pain. And I I haven't had chronic pain, so I can't speak from that aspect. And from what I hear from people who do suffer from it, it makes you crazy, basically, is what I hear. Just hearing you talk about having gone through this and knowing that there are other options, I guess I hope that people will recognize, like, it doesn't have to be just this way. Right. And, you know, it's so interesting, right? Because pain's been around since people have been around. Right. Or uncomfortable sensations have been around since people have been around. It's really only the last maybe century or less Mm -hmm. where we've decided that numbing it is the way to go. Because in Eastern medicine, they work with Mm -hmm. it. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, we say, no, no, you don't, we don't want to feel that, right? You have a headache, give yourself two aspirin. Now, I am not against medication at all. Right. I'm just against using it to repeatedly numb something that is just trying to tell us we need to live a different way. And what I hear you saying is that when we're using medication to feel normal, that's not normal. Correct. Right. And I guess I also want to differentiate too between medication for depression and I guess what I'm talking about is like SSRIs, SNRIs, like Zoloft, Lexapro, those sorts of things. Sometimes we need those. I will never go off Lexapro because I right. last time I did it, I got so depressed I couldn't even. So mm-hmm. I think that there are those of us with neurochemical imbalances that we, we need just a little bit of a leg up. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is not an anti-medication right. campaign Exactly. So where this would have helped, like had I known about this however many years ago, mm-hmm. was, okay, so here's the Zoloft. Let's work with the headaches that you're getting with the Zoloft exactly. rather than medicating the headaches exactly. that you're getting with the Zoloft. So it just becomes like, okay, these are byproducts of taking this. I'm taking this to live a rich and meaningful life. Right. But I don't want to continue to take other things because that starts to decrease the effect of the original drug to begin with. Exactly. Right. And if we're just medicating symptom after symptom after symptom, we're not addressing the underlying issue. Right. And that's kind of why I'm so in love with the body, because this vessel that I thought was my worst enemy was really just trying to tell me it's not working. Yeah. And the moment that relationship shifts, a whole entire world opens up to possibility and you become hopeful and you want to step into the experience. Right. And I just felt myself living outside of it for so long, not knowing really that I was and being so scared that my kids would see weakness, <sighs> would see me falling apart, you know, would mm. see like, mommy just can't handle this. But you know what? <laughs> They're going to see that. And if yeah. they expect, you know, life ain't perfect, as we all know, mm-hmm. and they need to see a, perhaps a more constructive way of working with these challenges right. than just numbing them. And so that was just where that, like, it was really like, I, I can't do this. Right. This isn't a way to go. And in that I hear we have choices. And I think kind of as a society, we assume that there's like one solution and this is the one that we're supposed to do instead of recognizing I have a variety of options here. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I heard you say reminds me a lot of a lot of clients that I work with struggle with addiction. And I personally just I think addiction is on a spectrum, right? It's not this either you're an addict or you're not. I think Mm -hmm. we can certainly become addicted and not be a person who needs to have long-term abstinence, but that's a whole nother aside. But anyway, Mm -hmm. so a lot of people that I work with, I find that the addiction itself too, just like whatever pain we might be experiencing, the addiction is its own wake-up call to say, hey, your life isn't working the way that you've been going down this path. I've had people 
quit their jobs and go into another profession and recognize, Mm -hmm. thank God I did that because I was driving myself nearly to death, almost literally doing this thing that my body and my mind and my heart and my soul was telling me I shouldn't be doing. And I had to drink or do drugs to get through that, you know? Right. I mean, the way that that at least I work with addiction through somatic therapy is people want to feel better. Right. Right. So whatever they are unwilling to feel, right, mm-hmm. whenever this feeling shows up, oh, not going to do that. I need to be in this place so I can function. I completely understand that. So let's work with what the obstacle is around functioning so that the addiction behavior doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. In other words, you know, every time I I work in presentations, we're we're making this up. I Mm -hmm. do a lot of presentations. Mm -hmm. And for me to actually stand in front of people, I need to drink a bottle of vodka. Okay, great. Totally get that, right? Mm -hmm. Let's work with the feeling you're getting before. Let's work with that feeling around presentations, Mm -hmm. integrate it so it doesn't need to be numbed. What that is, and part of the play around this, that's excitement. You're standing in front of a group of people, and we can call it, you know, we can actually label any emotion that it is. But usually what shows up is perhaps constricted breathing, even like a quick change in temperature in the body. Mm -hmm. So we're working with the body to regulate and slow down Mm -hmm. so that that pattern doesn't, that the brain doesn't go, oh, here's that thing. We got to drink. Here's that thing. We need to numb it. It's more like, oh, here's that thing. Can somebody regulate me? Yeah. Yeah. So it becomes fun. It becomes like a where's Waldo type thing. Where's that feeling? You know, (laughs) where was that? Oh, there it is. Mm -hmm. Let's work with it so that I can give this presentation or do whatever it is in a more workable, energetic or whatever way you're looking to do it in. Mm -hmm. I think in a roundabout way, you've kind of addressed this wounded healer term, but I don't know if you mm-hmm. want to speak more specifically to how you feel like that might apply to you in your work. Yeah, that's that's really where this comes from. You know, I've been there. I've been there. And had I not been there, I would not at all be able to relate what is going on, mm-hmm. at least for me personally. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the big thing with this work is how experiential it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand, you know, I'm not in other people's bodies, but I have certainly felt unworkability before you know, when you're, you're with a body and you're with a person, you're with an energy, you can feel it and you can read it and you can see where it's stuck. And for some people, it may show up as an autoimmune disease. For some people, it may show up in headaches. It may show up in temperament. It's going to show up in different ways. So the, the wounded piece of this is more, you know, I've got, I've been there. I'm wounded myself. Yeah. Let's see if we can make this experience feel better for you and for me and walk out of here feeling just a little bit more of yourself in a more workable way. And, you know, we're in this together. We can't have one person feeling awesome and the other person being miserable. And this work is truly about being in the room, being with one another always and Mm -hmm. being sensitive to that energy and not leaving anybody out. Yeah. I guess I want to talk about I guess, dis-ease in a, in a physical sense from your perspective, and obviously you're not a doctor and I'm not asking you to play a doctor on TV or on this podcast, but I've worked with functional medicine doctors before who say like, you know, autoimmune diseases can be cured because it's a matter of, you know, whatever toxins are in the environment that we can shift and emotions are stored in the body and if you don't release them through mental health work or self-care that you can give yourself cancer and those sorts of things. I'm just curious your perspective on physical things that show up and our capacity to heal because you said the body can heal itself. So what have you seen maybe in your experience that is like this amazing 
doesn't have to be amazing. As amazing as you mm-hmm. want it to be. But like, I'm asking a very like, I'm not saying words very well right now. So, but no, I, think I think you know I what I'm saying. Yeah, I understand what you're asking. <laughs> yeah. Here's my understanding and what I've experienced with people. So I also do somatic touch work and a little bit of cranial sacral work. And once we can get the body breathing again, and by that I don't just mean the respiratory system, Mm -hmm. our bones breathe, our viscera Mm -hmm. breathes, our entire system has its own rhythms and its own patterns and its own ways of clearing and detoxifying. Mm -hmm. And that really happens in a settling cycle. That's when that part of the body starts to come back to life. So if you're a person, let's say, who sort of lives on the on the higher end of life, more embodying like a stressful type of energy, mm-hmm. right? More in a fight flight state. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> right. um, what tends to happen is our adrenals can only work for so long mm-hmm. around that energy. They need to recover. And if we don't recover, we don't release the toxins in the system. Mm-hmm. And we don't release the toxins in the system. They have no place to go other than other areas where they can get stuck. And start to like kind of fester. So think of it as almost like how metal rusts, right? Mm -hmm. If we Mm. don't reboot the body, it feeds off of itself with these toxins. Yeah. Now, does that cause cancer? I am not a doctor. I am not a disease specialist. I don't know. Does it cause dis-ease? Yes. Yes. Right. Does that sometimes show up as these autoimmune issues? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I've worked with people from, you know, rheumatoid arthritis to fibromyalgia to Crohn's disease, you know, migraine headaches, psoriasis, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things that express themselves from the nervous system, from the inability to bring those adrenals back to reboost the thyroid. So there's parts of our body that are just required for repair. Mm. And if we don't regulate them, we're not going to have that. Mm hmm. Right. I mean, everybody eventually has to go to Jiffy Loop to get fixed their car. <laughs> right. We're trying to. I'm trying to. Right? We've Love all it. got to like clean yeah. out the pipes. Every yeah. Now and again. We like to think we can keep going. And but then the motor starts. Mm. To, right. We start to go for these things. Why is that happening? I don't know. Well, did have you brought your car in for a checkup? Not in three years. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You can only go fast for so long. You can only not move for so long. Yeah. So it's on both ends of the spectrum. You know, if, if you're either almost, I wouldn't even call it too settled, but let's call it chronic fatigue. I actually refer to it often as, as turtling, right? You're just kind of yeah. closed in. So if you're living there or if you're living, you know, like a firecracker, you are going to find some dis-ease in the system. There's no question about it. Yeah, I was rereading Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown yesterday. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you read that one? I have not read that. It's delicious. And there was a quote in it that I ended up putting on my Instagram because I was like, oh, fuck, I needed to hear this. There is an in-breath and there is an out-breath. It's easy mm-hmm. to believe that we must exhale all the time without ever inhaling. But the inhale is absolutely essential if you want to continue to exhale. <laughs> Which is true. And adding to that, if you don't exhale, I call it like putting fresh milk on top of stale milk. So there's even ideas like we don't really need to take these big breaths, but rather like 75% of our capacity. As long as we're doing it, you know, with presence, the breathing is what's so phenomenal about the experience. We can Mm -hmm. actually pause at the bottom of the exhale and feel our settling system kick on. Hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. It's like you hear, it's almost like you hear a furnace start up. Hmm. Right. The whole Mm -hmm. body just goes, oh, yeah, this is good. That's the high. That's the moment. It's like, oh, my God, my body has me. Yeah. Grounded in groundlessness. Grounded in groundlessness. Yes. Yes. 
Well, yes. and I have this chronic problem of feeling like I can't breathe deeply enough. And I remember when you said, well, maybe it's not you need to breathe in deeper, but you need to actually exhale and right. get all of the air out of your lungs. And I think about that every single time I struggle yeah. to take a deep breath. And a lot of times, not all the time. So we need to work on that next time I'm in. But, right. um, <laughs> no problem. but right. yeah, and it's it's so funny too. Like when you talk about the healing power of breath, I will hold my breath. And mm-hmm. that creates... God only knows what that's doing in my system. That's like locking everything up, I guess, and kind of right. making it stale. And it's just mm-hmm. a product of the go, 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 because I'm one of the revved up firecracker people. Well, that's the thing, right? We're holding our breath. The system's like, oh my God, danger. What's going on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're not breathing. Everybody, right? Everybody <laughs> to the heart or everybody where, right. wherever, wherever mm-hmm. they're going to recruit to, right? Yeah. So if the body thinks it's in danger, you're going to find all these other sensations show up that really mm-hmm. are saying this isn't working, but one might connect those sensations to anxiety. Mm-hmm. One might connect those sensations to fear. Mm-hmm. So the longer we hold that, the more the brain's going to go, oh, there's that thing. Mm-hmm. We don't want this. This is bad, bad, bad. You're bad, bad, bad. Right? Yeah. So whereas we just go like what you said, oh my God, I am holding my breath right now. Mm-hmm. Instead of I suck because I'm, you know, I'm feeling all these things. I'm holding my breath. This is clearly not working. Mm-hmm. What if I let that go? Anytime, even if it's a millimeter of a shift, that's where the possibility lies. It's that constant movement of expansion and contraction that we were designed to do. Right. You know, we're just alive. Right. <laughs> In these impermanent bodies. In these impermanent bodies that are doing the best that they can to right. hold us together. I'm thinking, you know, more on this wounded healer piece and kind of going back to you had this appointment with your doctor and your doctor's like, get off these medications, you get off the medications, and then you had two to three weeks of hell is basically what I heard you say. Yes. Was there a choice in there? Because I I think that this is maybe a good place to kind of really break down the details of how we decide that we're going to continue to move through and step into vulnerability or if we're going to go back to that numbing state. Do you remember for yourself if there was a time when you made that choice? Yeah, here was the choice I was given. Pretty black and white. You either get off these drugs or you die. Hmm. That was the choice. And your doctor said that? Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize I was down to about, I don't know, maybe 85 pounds. I had no idea. I had no idea. What? No idea. So in my brain, with two young babies. Oh, my God. Right? I, there was no choice. Yeah. There was never any fun. I think it maybe ended mm-hmm. up being a good thing. But I was never really enjoying myself taking these drugs. Right. It was, you know, maybe the Vicodin. <laughs> maybe the Vicodin <laughs> in the beginning. I hear, I hear that from people. I do not yeah. enjoy it. I'm not a downer person. But right. it, <laughs> I it hear was that, more yeah. just Yeah, it was more like that numbing thing because I had huge mm-hmm. scars. So it was mm. more this numbing thing. But these other drugs were just... It was never fun. It was functional. Wow. So the choice was, you know, you either live or die. Mm. And since I really wanted to live, that's where everything had to change. Mm -hmm. The hardest one to get off of for me was Valium. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the other ones took about two weeks. I think that one took about a year and a half of slowly paring down. Which, thank God, because you can actually die from withdrawal of that and alcohol. So good. Which I should have realized at the time, which is what my doctor was telling me at the time. Mm. Listening wasn't my strong suit. (laughs) (laughs) To yourself or others, I guess. Funny. 
So I had to go back on that one and then slowly pare down. So that was the thing. You know, uh, addiction frequently talks about rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And that was a rock bottom for me. And I didn't even know I was in that world. Right. It's amazing to me how we tell ourselves we're okay. Mm-hmm. How the brain will go, just one more thing will be okay. Just one more thing will mm-hmm. be okay. Without listening at all to what was going on underneath. Yeah. And that was my wake-up call. And rock bottom doesn't necessarily have to just be chemical. Right. Right? I mean, we mm-hmm. know that just as people. We're like, I'm hitting rock bottom with how I'm in relationships. Mm-hmm. I'm hitting rock bottom with just how I go through my day. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever that, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And then we make a decision. I don't want to do this anymore. Right. You know, I'm thinking... And this is the conversation that's bigger than we can solve today, but I'm thinking of my friend that committed suicide and I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, God, what is the resilient piece in us that some of us make the choice that like, oh, I don't have a choice. I have to live. And some of us make the other choice. And I don't think there is an answer to that question, but it's just interesting. Yeah. That is a question that I would think we struggle with, Mm -hmm. but I know that for me personally, if I didn't have the love and support around me, yeah, I would have been there too. Yeah, And that's why I keep kind of going back to, we have got to look out for one another mm-hmm. in our community. And even when people say, and, and this is slowly starting to change in my life too. Even when we say, no, no, I'm okay. Yeah. I've got this. We don't. No. And sometimes <laughs> no. it takes, right? We, we need the nudging. We need the nudging friend. Mm-hmm. We need the nudging family member that's like, kid, did you look in the mirror recently? Or like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. This is not working for you. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're going to say, no, no, I can take care of this on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the only one who I can count on. I actually mm-hmm. totally understand that and have lived that. Yet people are there to help. Mm-hmm. And there are communities and organizations and therapists and all kinds of ways to access that. But it's also the responsibility of looking out for our fellow friend, whether they're a friend or not, actually looking out for our fellow brother and sister and going, right. they're not okay. Yeah. Even if we can invite somebody just to breathe. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, you know, people in my life where my side of the street is maybe I didn't create a positive invitation to just breathe. And maybe I was like, ah, you're doing it wrong. And then they're like, Mm -hmm. I don't need your help. So it's just making me reflect on how am I offering my help? Is it controlling or is it just, hey, like... Yeah, that's such a good point because the one thing that they also stress constantly in somatic therapy is whatever they did to get to that place worked, right? We're not shaming any kind of pattern that showed up in the room and we are starting from exactly where they are, that whatever is showing up from the room is where this begins. Mm -hmm. And it might be different from session to session, from moment to moment, but that's what it's like to be alongside somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. And I hear you like, just breathe this way <laughs> as a yoga teacher yeah. to tell somebody, just move your right hip forward. Well, you know what? Yeah. It might not feel good for them to move their right hip forward. Mm-hmm. And I'm so much more sensitive to that now because after teaching in large groups of people and just queuing and expecting people just to do whatever their leg is supposed to do. Right. There are people that are actually struggling to be in these positions. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. There should be an invitation to go. We just want to move. We just really want to feel good. And I don't know as a teacher if by shooting your right arm forward that that's going to make it happen. But what I do know is if we can slow things down and you're willing to move a little bit, let's see what wants to. Mm-hmm. Invitation. Yeah, invitation only. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's an invitation only. We're not forcing mm-hmm. anything because ultimately that is trauma, right? Yes. When we start to force things, yeah. 
that's going against what our body is naturally willing to do. So it's this invitation to just slow down, pause, get a kind of an idea of where we are right now, mm-hmm. and then make that step, take that exhale. And then let's see what changed, mm. what feels more possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that you and I share this for me, I feel like it's this eternal optimism and hope. I feel like mm-hmm. I really, my desire is, is to help people cultivate hope. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm hearing in this is an invitation to make anything workable, which therein lies hope that things yeah. can get better. Yeah. I mean, I think that because I was so close to the other side, that's my only option. And, you know, I've been close without really knowing how close I was. Yeah. And if we are able to tap into more of who we are Mm -hmm. and more of what Mother Nature gave us, my God, it's Mm -hmm. endless what we're capable of doing. We're very, very strong. Yeah. And resilient is an understatement. Mm -hmm. It really is. Like our bodies actually want to survive. It's the brain. (laughs) It's the brain that's like, meh. Not so much right now, <laughs> yeah. right? Or mm-hmm. I just want to do this. But the body will continue to breathe. That's true. And it, if we can just get into the marrow of who we are and that lifeblood of who mm-hmm. we are, it's endless what we're capable of doing. It's mm-hmm. so exciting. It's truly so exciting to see that and to see the possibility and the hopefulness in people's faces. It's the reason to get up in the morning. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that you see really profound shifts in people because honestly, the thing that sold me about working with you, I was already sold when my friend was like, work with her. She's amazing. I'm like, great, good. I don't care what she does, but it'll be great. (laughs) But when you told me I generally don't work with people for more than 10 sessions, Mm -hmm. I was like, uh, yes. So (laughs) you are terrible at marketing, but great. Really? Yes. I am horrible at marketing. It's my curse. No, but I just thought that was so, it's very humble and it's also very, God, what's, I don't know what the word is, but the fact that you're like, I'm going to give you this, this piece, we're going to go this Mm -hmm. far and then you're going to go live life and see what happens. And then if you want to come back, you're going to come back. Right. Like I said, it's really just like Jiffy Lube, right? You get the thing working and then every now and again, you get a tune up. Yeah. And it's great because we want people to live their life. Yeah. I mean, that's why they're coming. It's Mm -hmm. like, this is what I want to do. Okay. That was always in my brain. Right. But you're right. In terms of marketing, I suck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not good. That's all right. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to continue. I think I've sent, what, like 10 people to you. Yeah. And and I'm so freaking grateful. You have no idea. Yes. Oh, but I, I really can't speak more highly of, I feel safe when I'm in the room with you. I feel... Mm hopeful. I feel energized. And the work that you do is truly amazing. And I really, I can't thank you enough personally for what we've done in the room together, but also for, you know, being brave and being on this podcast with me that I don't know whether it's going to be a thing or not, but I hope so. (laughs) It's my pleasure. It's my absolute pleasure, Sarah. You're such a love. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I feel very blessed to have you in my life. (laughs) Yay, ditto. Is there anything mm-hmm. else that we didn't talk about that you're like, I really want to make sure I say this? We didn't really talk much about the movement in the body piece in terms of functional movement and posture. Mm-hmm. But just to, to throw that in, that yes, the somatic experiencing piece is a huge bulk of what happens in a session and along with the somatic touch. But then also once the body starts to integrate, there's the movement possibilities mm-hmm. and what we can start to do more from an agility 
and power perspective to, mm. to truly to physically step in to this thing that I walk around with all day. Hmm. So that, yes, there's this emotional and mental piece, but there's a huge physiological piece of just feeling empowered to move, hmm. whether it's dance, whether it's running, whatever it is, hmm. but to feel again like your body's got you. And so that's just another layer to this work that is an exciting piece to play with around uh, relieving chronic pain. Okay, I was just going to ask, like, what sort of population might want to step into that? But it's people who struggle with chronic pain mostly that would go mm-hmm. that, to that route? Okay. Yeah, people that struggle, <clears throat> but actually post-surgical pain, pre-surgical, people with disabilities. It really just depends on what's showing up in the room. So oftentimes people don't realize that it's a postural piece that's showing up. Mm. They'll come and they'll say, you know, I've had belly issues forever. And they're coming in and they kind of look like a candy cane. And there are reasons why that shape is there. So it's not just like we're standing them up quickly. That is not what happens. Right. But it's more just around, are you aware of the space between your ribcage and your hips? Mm -hmm. Right. And so when people start to go, oh, and then they, and then it's more of just inviting more breath in there where that posture starts to lift a little and just a little bit. And the moment that posture starts to lift a little bit, the tummy might start to gurgle. Hmm. And when the tummy starts to gurgle, the digestive system is working. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that plays into the postural piece of relieving trauma and pain. Mm -hmm. And just to wanted to kind of bring that full circle as an additional piece of this work, that it is body-based and (laughs) body-based. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No, it totally does. Yeah. Yeah. So... Just to tell people who might be listening, so you do individual sessions. I know you do speaking gigs because you did one for my staff this weekend. Do you teach yoga <laughs> anywhere right now too? I don't currently teach any group classes. It's mostly done on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. But, you know, come on over and, and we'll move a little bit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Yeah. Thank you so, 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 oh. so, so much for this. You're welcome, Dolly. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much to Sarah Wolfman for sharing this conversation with me today. I really, truly cannot emphasize how much she's helped me personally. She is such a special gift to share with anyone who crosses her path. You can find more information about Sarah on our social media and our website, or you can go directly to Sarah's site at somatictherapychicago.com. S-O-M-A-T-I-C-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y, chicago.com. As for Conversations with a Wounded Healer, you can find us on Facebook if you search at Convos with a Wounded Healer. And as always, thank you to Andrea Klunder for editing, Liam O'Donnell for our rad album art photo, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.